0: Hello, my name is Bilal Abba, I'm a Director in PwC's Middle Eastern Tax Practice. I lead our information reporting business across the Middle East, to support a wide range of businesses, many of those in the financial services sector, banks, asset managers and
1: insurers on a wide range of tax matters. Thank you Bilal, uh, my name is Peter Mabry, um, I'm a partner leading our financial services uh, uh, tax practice uh, across the region here in the Middle East and I'd like to say a warm welcome to our Spotlight on Financial Services Tax series. I, in my entire career, have never seen such a rapid change in the tax environment and particularly the tax environment for financial services um, institutions and groups. Um, So what we're going to try to do um, is pick a couple of different topics um, and talk you through what we think are the really important issues from the perspective of Middle East-based businesses here in our region and specifically um, how they apply to the financial services sector. Welcome to episode one of our new series, Spotlight on Financial Services
0: Tax, where we'll be discussing exchange of information regimes, FATCA and CRS, and the latest developments businesses need to be made aware of. So Peter, um, information reporting, with those words I always associate, FATCA, common reporting standard, but is FACA and CRS the only information reporting regimes, or are we seeing more?
1: Well, um, uh, as you, as in your intro, Bill, I was probably the clue was there. Um, uh, there's a lot more to information reporting than just um, FACA and CRS. And if you've seen our earlier um, uh, discussion uh, on that, that's got a bit more on FACA CRS. Um, I think the whole area of information reporting um, is expanding rapidly, and um, the um, Uh, uh, there's several drivers to that the first of all I think that the um, the, one of the OECD's um, uh, uh, clear actions around their base erosion and profit shifting um, initiative is to try and increase the amount of data that is available to tax authorities and internationally to um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 minimise tax avoidance as they see it Um, and That has um, spawned several information reporting regimes. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with the so-called country-by-country reporting regime. Um, uh, That requires um, multinationals to report data on um, where they generate profits on a country-by-country basis and how many people they employ uh, uh, and related matters. So that would be one example. Um, The the second one that is really the the topic of this discussion um, uh, is actually around... um, Uh, uh, information reporting where there is um, risk of tax avoidance on international transactions Um, and the uh, this is the so-called EU mandatory disclosure regime Um, and actually it was born out of um, two if you like pre-runner regimes so the US had a bunch of rules called the tax shelter rules um, which required you to report where there are certain kind of characteristics of um, uh, 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 transactions which might have had tax avoidance features in the eyes of the tax authority and then secondly the UK had a a regime called the disclosure of tax avoidance uh, schemes the DOTAS rules Um, and in some ways the EU's mandatory disclosure regime is kind of modelled on those and in in overview it applies where you've got um, cross-border transactions involving an EU member state and those transactions have um, one or more hallmarks of what the tax authority would see as tax avoidance so one of those would be, for example, if you've got a uh, an intragroup transaction, and a result of that transaction, um, the profits of one entity in one EU member state drop by more than half. Now there's lots of bona fide reasons why that might happen, um, but the tax authorities see that as a possible hallmark um, of tax avoidance, which is why it's a kind of it's it's, 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 a, it's a triggering feature. Um, so, uh, if you like, that's, you know, uh, I know the topic of today's discussion, but it's not just actually going to end there, um, because as I said at the start, I think this whole direction of travel is for more transparency. Um, and as you know, Bilal, we've recently seen um, the EU talk about the so-called DAC7, um, uh, which, is a, um, uh, which is going to be a regime around um, uh, platforms and, and, and kind of data that they have to report and there will be more, more still. So that would be the kind of the overall information reporting environment in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, I completely
0: agree. And I think just to, just to almost supplement what you said, I feel like the, the, the direction of travel is to more real-time reporting. So we've seen with previous information reporting regimes where you have to uh, report on a periodic basis, let's say annually, dac six is kind of is evolved into real time reporting, so the dynamics of the regime require businesses to continually monitor uh, transactions, monitor their reporting position, uh, but also continuously report that. I mean, once once the regime is fully live, um, dac six is going to require uh, reporting within thirty days of reportable transactions being identified. So it's all this sort of movement into more disclosure. Uh, to tax authorities, and it's uh, it's it's another one of those regimes which supplements tax authorities in in in
1: in let's say uh, defending their tax base. And actually, you raise a very interesting point, actually, uh, that's worth just reflecting on for a second about this real time reporting, mm-hmm. because I think that is that is very important. You know, if you go back twenty or thirty years ago, um, the typical way um, for both personal taxes and corporate taxes. Um, that around the world countries, uh, and including here in the uh, the Middle East region, um, approach things was um, you'd, you'd have a fiscal year, you'd end the fiscal year, and then you'd have time to prepare a tax return, and then that, your tax information would go in um, to a tax authority on your tax return, and they'd get the data, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months after the year end. Yeah. And that's kind of how it worked. And as you say, this whole we are moving to a situation where arguably we could be in a position where in let's say 10 years time tax authorities would expect to have all the data today um, about what is you know happening economically amongst um, taxpayers and the tax base uh, without any kind of delay or even in advance uh, and that actually is partly what the EU mandatory disclosure regime is before you've even implemented the transaction the tax authority will have kind of visibility on it so I, I think that's a uh, a, a very important dynamic that you've um, fleshed out. Maybe, um, maybe then let's get to you know. Obviously, we're here in the Middle East, and um, uh, businesses here in the Middle East might be saying to themselves and listeners and viewers, um, why um, should we care here in the Middle East um, about um, this EU mandatory disclosure regime? Since we're not in the EU, why why, why is it of relevance to us? Yeah,
0: great question, Peter, and, and, and a lot of people are asking, asking the same question. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's an EU piece of legislation which has currently been implemented into mostly the EU member states. So all the EU member states have adopted DAC6, but also a number of additional jurisdictions have. One of those is Mexico. That's what the current state is today. Now, why does it affect Middle Eastern businesses? If you are a Middle Eastern business, you operate in the eu you have a branch a subsidiary a taxable presence in the eu you immediately come into the scope of dac6 and perhaps we haven't mentioned yet the 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 directive um, actually was technically in force from the 25th of june 2018 which is now over two years ago and the 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 dac6 actually went live on the first of july 2020. So that was the go-live date. And at that point, all of the EU member states had implemented domestic law for DAC6. And essentially, uh, that paved the way for businesses being able to report under the regime. So if you're a Middle Eastern business, um, you have a branch, you have a subsidiary, you have a taxable presence in the EU, DAC6 is absolutely relevant to you. And how it's relevant is you need to consider the transactions you do within the EU, so between two EU member states, or the transactions you do uh, with the, within the EU and outside of the EU. So we're sitting now in, 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 in the United Arab Emirates. If there was a business here that had a branch in, let's take the UK, that business would need to consider the cross-border transactions it enters into uh, with its UK branch and that could be financing, um, it could be uh, transfers of shares, uh, etc. The, 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 there are essentially hallmarks or characteristics of the transaction that need to be met to enable reporting. But I think the point is, is that if you do have something in the EU, you operate within the EU, you have some form of cross-border business and most businesses will. Um, just by the nature of how the world works today you need to make an assessment under DAC6 to see and assess whether you have a reporting obligation or not, then to design uh, appropriate uh, processes and infrastructure to allow capturing those uh, and reporting those. And I think, I think the other thing is, is, is also there's an important piece around governance as well. Uh, businesses will need to implement governance uh, policies and procedures. Uh, to be able to demonstrate their approach to DAC6, uh, their decision making uh, under the legislation uh, and also uh, uh, their their reporting standpoint uh, should a tax authority uh, request that information which is something which is very likely given the direction of travel uh, for many of these regimes.
1: And Bill I can actually uh, just to sort of um Uh, 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 add a piece to what what, what you're saying there I mean you and I obviously both work a lot with financial services groups financial institutions including you know banks and uh, uh, within that and um, uh, one of the key things about this uh, uh, disclosure regime I think is that there's two categories of if you like reporting groups so there's first of all um, promoters um, uh, and um, promoters essentially are kind of people who who help other people um, uh, do international transactions and so yeah i would certainly include people like um, pwc um, and 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 and, you know tax advisory firms and we we if we give advice on a transaction then we could fall into that definition um, and then need to um, uh, make disclosures about those transactions that our clients and other people are doing but equally um, uh, uh, in a similar way the same could be true of banks um, who facilitate um, uh, transactions for their clients uh, and so I think banks um, in particular have a kind of special obligation along with other promoters um, uh, and intermediaries and actually I think the word is, if I use the correct terminology, intermediary is, the, oh, is, is actually the right term. Um, uh, uh, if you are an intermediary you need to basically report on transactions you are intermediating for others. So, so banks need to pay very special attention to this um, and then the second category is um, uh, taxpayers themselves, and the rules apply to taxpayers themselves. Now, taxpayers themselves don't have to make disclosures if some other intermediary done it for them. But there may be many reasons why, um, you know, not least if you've just done some in-house um, uh, transactions without seeking external advice, um, that that would put you into the um, you know the kind of uh, taxpayer category, and you need to you need to make that assessment. Yeah, I think just to add to that, so I think,
0: I think banks is, is a great example and banks, like you said, have, have have to consider their own transactions and also the transactions they into, enter into on behalf of their clients. I would say another kind of, let's say, category is also wealth and asset managers. I mean, by, by, by virtue of funds and how they operate, they are essentially intermediaries in their own right. So if you're a wealth and asset manager and you have a fund um, you need to be able to uh, uh, demonstrate DAC 6 compliance, particularly where you have cross border transactions, where you have investors and you're making investments into other countries, you have operations in other countries, etc., uh, particularly in the, in the EU. So I think the wealth and asset management category is right. sometimes sli- overlooked slightly. I think that's, that's the right word. Uh, but, but particular attention does need to be paid to that kind of category of, of business.
1: And just one—we're uh, uh, we, we, probably going to need to finish up shortly, uh, Bill. But the, uh, if um, uh, we often get people—people people say to me, "Well, you know, there's only a limited number of transactions that we've actually got with the EU, yeah. um, and also those transactions are very vanilla. There's nothing un, yeah. you know, un, un, unduly complex." You know, what? What? It, it, in that situation, um, you know. Uh, uh, what should, um, uh, uh, um, you know, wealth wealth and asset managers or, or banks or for that matter any other taxpayer um, actually do? Do they need to do anything? Yeah, look, I mean, it's uh, and, and many businesses,
0: as you rightly said, may not have a reporting obligation in the end. You may not have anything to report, um, but the point is there needs to be an exercise to assess whether you fall into the, 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 the regime only because the hallmarks are so broad. Uh, there's there's some hallmarks which bring main tax benefits, but there's also some which doesn't, uh, such as transfer pricing yeah. and CRS reporting, etc. Um, so what I would suggest to businesses is perform an impact assessment, do that impact assessment, assess your group, assess the cross-border transactions within your group, and if you have transactions um, that are uh, regular, that are repetitive. Uh, give yourself some extra assurances that those don't fall within the hallmarks, have that documented and and keep that. And I think also there's a point around um, implementing a process, and it doesn't have to be a sophisticated process, but some form of process or governance to capture the new transactions you enter into, if those are on behalf of your clients, or if those are just in-house transactions that, that you're doing within the group. Uh, so it's thinking about well, how do you implement DAC6 into that process, so you can tick the box, and more importantly, uh, be able to demonstrate your compliance with the regime.
1: And, and it, maybe in summary I'd say, certainly I know, um, you know, we've been working with a number of groups on on helping with that kind of impact assessment process. Um, uh, so I think, I definitely think the one takeaway I'd say to people is, you know, you know one does need to do some form of impact assessment exercise And just to re-emphasise another point you brought out Bilal which I think is super important and that is um, as is the way with a lot of tax law at the moment you've got to have contemporaneous evidence to support the fact um, that you've analyzed a situation and even if the answer is nothing to declare or no return to be made you need that evidence to show that you've considered it and so on Uh, uh, and certainly I'm seeing quite a lot of that we've seen examples of that where um, uh, just doing that exercise then gives you the comfort that you've then got the, uh, the documentation you need to support when tax authorities come to ask um, that it's been um, proper diligence has been applied to the position even if the answer is nil return.
0: Absolutely and I mean look ta- tax authorities uh, have invested um, um, huge sums of money in technology in infrastructure in portals it's extremely easy for them now to raise assessments assess taxpayers, uh, investigate around reporting for these regimes. So perhaps uh, a number of years ago that would have been a difficult task. Very, very recently tax authorities have been investing uh, huge amounts of, of money and resource behind uh, their, their, their kind of their setup and their, their resource, uh, resources and their technology. And that allows them uh, to be in that position. Uh, where they can assess taxpayers at relatively low cost. So, uh, so that's what we're seeing a lot of behaviour of, taxpayers being uh, a lot more proactive, uh, I think, in doing assessments, uh, and also a lot more aware of what, how their taxpayers are, are complying uh, with the regulation.
1: Very good, so I think we'd summarise by saying uh, a, a, a look at your governance and then um, uh, put in place an infrastructure to um, uh, uh, make those assessments. Um, uh, um, uh, and uh, get them in before 31st of December, which is actually when the, kind of the first actual live reporting starts, so um, something coming up very soon.